Hello, and welcome to Marathon Swim Stories, where we explore all sides of marathon swimming. I'm marathon swimmer and coach, Shannon Keegan. Today, we get into the logistics of putting on a marathon swim event with marathon swimmer, journalist, swim historian, and director of the Boston Light Swim, Elaine Howley. We touch on a little bit of everything from the storied history and how Elaine got involved to her biggest learnings over the last 10 years. With just 25 spots available, how do you get your turn swimming the oldest marathon swim in the United States? Stay tuned to find out. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Marathon Swim Stories. <laughs> Today we're chatting with Elaine from the vantage point of her directing role as um, as a, for the Boston Light. So tell us the story of the Boston Light Swim. <laughs> okay, so um, the Boston Light Swim has been uh, running off and on um, since 1907. Um, it was started... Um, you know, there was kind of a heyday in marathon swimming at the turn of the century. Uh, and there was a lot of interest here in Boston. There were um, the, the L Street Brownies were active and there were a bunch of other um, uh, long distance swimmers, people like Henry Sullivan, who would go on to swim the channel. Um, so there was sort of a community here and they started running this race, uh, which at the time left from the Charlestown Bridge, which is actually up in the Charles River, um, and would go out to the lighthouse and, you know, reports of the, um, of the swim have that listed as like 24 miles, which it isn't, but it, it's longer than the, than the current, uh, course that we use. Um, and so the, one of the extraordinary early stories of the Boston Light Swim is that of Rose Pitnoff, um, who is also famous down in New York for some firsts. Uh, but she had set the course record, I think, if memory serves, it was 1909. Um, and she got a lot of press. She was 15 years old. And, you know, there's this great um, newspaper headline that says, girl succeeds where men experts fail. And I just love that. <laughs> <That's line. awesome. laughs> um, so she was this little tiny spitfire, like she might have been five feet tall, and she just got in and just swam. But um, over the years, the, the course has changed a little bit. And now we go from the lighthouse, which is on Little Brewster Island, uh, which is one of the outer harbor islands. Um, a, a lot of people don't even realize that Boston Harbor is just like dotted with these, these lovely little islands. Um, and Outer Brewster is one of the outer ones. And it's home to the Boston Lighthouse, which was actually America's first lighthouse. It was built in, uh, I think it was like 17, uh, 16, 17, I think it was. I, I'd have to look it up. They just celebrated their their 400th anniversary or something like that. Wow. I, I know, it's, wow. it's been there it's a old. long time. It's old. <laughs> it's been there a long time. Um, it actually was um, toppled it was damaged severely damaged during the uh, revolutionary war you know as the the british were retreating they like blew it up and stuff um or maybe i have that wrong maybe it was the americans blew it up so that the british would wreck 
as they were coming uh, into the harbor. I don't uh, remember. That looks like something. Yeah, yeah my British husband just came in and said, no, we blew it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a, uh, anyway, it's a very storied uh, place and waterway and uh, there's just such a rich history out there. It's just, and it's beautiful too. I mean, it's just a really wild place. You know, just, you can see the, the skyline of Boston from out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet you're in just this completely wild uh, aquascape out there. Um, so um, my love affair with the Boston Light Swim um, began, I guess, sometime in 2005. Um, I had just started to get back into swimming. Um, I had served, I, I graduated from Georgetown in 2000 and went uh, pretty much right into the Peace Corps from there. And I spent about a year in Ukraine uh, and when I came home, I had no money, no job, no place to live. So I moved in with my brother who had just moved to the Boston area um, and, uh, you know, just was living in his spare room for a couple of years until I figured out my way. Um, and uh, during that time to make ends meet, I was working at um, a pool, a, a gym nearby. And I was because uh, I had I had been an ocean lifeguard in college and stuff. So I still had my certification. So. I would go in on Saturday mornings and open the pool for them and lifeguard a little bit. And I would rock up in my Georgetown swimming and diving gear <laughs> and <laughs> Pam O'Neill, who is just, if anybody knows Pam O'Neill, you, you, you should know her. She's, she's <laughs> a delight. She is just talk about a spitfire. Um, she, she was there, you know, she had avid, avid swimmer and just always there for the master's workouts and stuff. And, and she is not shy about commenting about anything. And so she started, she decided at some point that she was just going to harass me. And so <laughs> she started saying things like, you come here and you're George Hand swimming and diving gear. And I've never actually seen you swim a stroke. I think you're faking it. And all this. <laughs> So fine. She browbeats me into it. I finally get back in the water and I start swimming them. And I realized, wow, that had been a long five years out of the water. You know, it was good to be back in. But through the course of that process, I uh, met and became friends with Greg O'Connor, who is, uh, I guess I would probably describe him now as the older brother I didn't want, (laughs) but I'm happy to have. (laughs) Uh, He, uh, he's a pain in my butt and I love him dearly. Uh, So in 2005, um, I was just finishing grad school and at one, at practice one morning, he turns to me and says, you know, I I know you used to um, be an ocean lifeguard. So I assume that means you're comfortable with open water. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem with open water. He's like, there's this eight mile swim out in the Boston Harbor that I've been wanting to do, but I need somebody to train for it with, you know, Mm -hmm. would you be interested in doing that? And uh, I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds stupid enough for me to, to throw my hat in. Sure, let's, let's do yeah, it. So, sure. yeah, I was just, you know, finishing up the whole grad school thing. And, you know, I, I love a challenge. So let's do it. Um, so over the course of the next several months, we figured out how to train for this. And so like, that's the beginning of my marathon swimming story. Yeah. But it's also the origins of my love affair with this event. Yeah. Um, so we did, um, I ended up doing the race three times. Uh, so 2006, 2007 and 2008. 
Um, my fastest time on the course was, I think, in 2007 when I did it in like 3:30 or something. But my slowest was like 4:35 on a on a bad day. So it was just really interesting to see, you know, how the Doing same the water same can be thing. so yeah. different, you know, on different days and just and and you know, I really kind of got the bug for marathon swimming when I was doing that swim the first time. Cause you, you launch, you, you just throw yourself off the boat and start swimming, you know, and the water's 58 degrees. It's no joke. What know? time, what time of year is it again? Um, August. Yeah. August, usually okay. in early August. And it's all timed with the tides. Cause you know, if you're, if you're not in sync with the tides, you're not coming in. It's just, it, it's <laughs> strong water out there. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you spend about the first uh, four miles or so kind of wending through the the islands. And, and it's actually, it's a national park. It's, I, I think it might be the only national park that's like an islands-based national wow. park. I okay. mean, they, they, there's some designation. I'm not, I'm not saying it right, but there's some designation for Boston Harbor, but the islands are actually the buoys, you know, you oh, gotta okay, go, cool. you know, scoot around the south of this island and the north of that one. And, um, you get to the end of Long Island at the time they still had this bridge and it's this rusted out old bridge that looks like it's going to collapse into the water at any point. And, you know, you come around all of a sudden you look up and there's Boston and it was just the neatest thing. Yeah. Um, so in, you know, and, and I think Greg kind of caught the bug too. <laughs> so, uh, did the swim a couple of times. And then in, in 2009, the, um, organizer, um, his, he had changed jobs or something, something had changed in his life. And he was like, yeah, I need help if we're going to continue this. And mm-hmm. that there was this lengthy history, which, you know, I'm, I'm a history nerd. So, you know, that really <laughs> appealed to me. Um, you know, we, we sort of felt like it was incumbent on us, if, if, if nobody else was going to step up, then it was incumbent on us to sort of um, step up and sort of take over stewardship of the event. And that's what we did. Um, for the first few years, Greg kind of took the lead because I really didn't know what I was, <laughs> you know, what was involved with all this, but he sort of figured it out. And so for the first, I don't know, uh, five or six years, I was kind of his sidekick. And then um, uh, he has sort of stepped back and over the last, uh, five or six years, I've been sort of the, the lead director. Um, and last year we actually, um, made the move to sort of expand the leadership group, uh, cause both Greg and I, you know, have interest in doing other things and moving on. We've right, been right. in charge of this for over a decade. So, you know, we're trying to sort of train up the next generation to kind of hand it off and stuff, but it's still very much a cottage industry. It's all volunteer Nobody, your biggest, the, the, the biggest, uh, you know, windfall that comes out of it is a t-shirt. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's, a, and it's, it's a lot of effort to, to organize it because the, um, the, the logistics out there can be really kind of hairy. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's fairly protected in the fact that we are swimming inside of a harbor, um, but it's a major shipping channel and there's lots of recreational boats and, you know, very cold water and, you know, conditions, as you guys all know, conditions can be whatever they're going to be on any given day. So mm-hmm. um, every swimmer needs to have their own boat, their own motorized boat. And that is really kind of our limiting factor. Yeah. Um that and and just really sort of the size and shape of the course um, sort of limit us in how many swimmers we can have. 
because um, I know there's a, there's over the years there's been a lot of interest in the swim and you know we've had years where we've had you know 100 people reach out and say they want to do it but we've only got 25 slots um, mm. and that's because you know the, the local resources with in terms of the number of boaters who can support um, it's just it's just we're going to be hard pressed if we go beyond that yeah um, so um, let's see. Yeah, so we took over running that in 2009, I guess is the first year that it was, you know, uh, me and Greg. Um, and, you know, we've just tried every year since then to just make little improvements, you know. Um, initially, the, the focus was on trying to improve safety because, you know, back in the day, the swim was not safe. There was <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was insane i i mean the year that it took me an hour longer than my fastest swim it was so foggy at the start that we couldn't find the lighthouse oh, and no. we almost ran over another boater because we were late getting out there oh my gosh um yeah i mean like that level of insanity you know it was a miracle that nobody had ever gotten seriously hurt out there but um yeah, so we, we instituted all sorts of rules and protocols and stuff. And I know that that changed the flavor of the event a little bit, but I think it also sort of opened it up to, um, you know, a bigger audience. Uh, it, it sort of elevated it to more of an international thing, whereas once upon a time it had been almost strictly local swimmers who had mm, done it. Okay. Now, now, because you know, we were sort of getting things organized and, codified and you know just sort of trying to be a little bit more professional about it um you know and it started to appeal to swimmers from from abroad and you know so we've had swimmers from all over the place who've come to swim with us and you know we still every year though we do have a, a strong local contingent and you know we 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 want to be true to our roots while sort of growing into the future if that makes sense mm -hmm. Yeah. So how does the, uh, when did you start the, the lottery? Is that? Yeah. Um, I think we have memory serves. That was like in 2012, we brought that in because okay. it was, you know, the interest was growing and, you know, and that sort of times in with when, you know, just interest in marathon swimming started to kind of rebound anyway. And so we mm -hmm. just started to get so many inquiries. The lottery just seemed like the fairest way to manage it. Um, you know, cause if you make it first come first serve, then, you know, it just the <laughs> it just seemed like the simplest way because then you give people we give people two weeks or so to sign up and then just throw everybody's name into a hat and it's actually I use a random number generator from Google. It's that simple. <laughs> just the number corresponds to the number on the spreadsheet. So nice. Yeah. Okay. So the so the lotteries though is something that you guys brought in in your. Term. Yeah, prior to that, I don't think that there had been any restriction on the size of the event, although I'm also not aware that it ever exceeded 20 people like, oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, historically, I, um, a few years back, um, I, I typed up all of the uh, results and put them online. So we have all of the results that are available all the way back to 1907 are on oh, our wow. website now. That's awesome. Um, and I don't think I remember seeing a single year that had more than 20 
20 participants. So we've actually kind of increased it, but at the same time, we, we need, we just, we just don't have the resources to go mm-hmm. bigger than that. I mean, we would love to, but, you know, and we have considered, you know, could we add a second outing, you know, like a second day, like they do in New York with the uh, around Manhattan and could, could we do that? And again, it's just, um, you know, with an all volunteer group of people who are trying to do their own swims, it just, you know, we, we get one day and, that's what we're going with. Yeah. Yeah. Lynn asked if you've ever, um, if you've ever had two people swim at the same speedboat. No. And the reason is, uh, because, uh, it's just a safety thing. Uh, we, if something goes wrong with one of those swimmers, you know, in the chaos that's going to ensue, it's just safer if there's only one swimmer in the water for them. Yeah. And we just, mm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so with, so prior to, when did, when did you guys decide to have the one motorboat per per, per swimmer? Yeah, that was pretty much straight away. That had been a requirement that had been in place. Um, you know, when I was racing it. Um, so I don't know when they, when exactly they instituted that, but I feel like that was sort of like, uh, the event from the very beginning, you know, back when they were going from Charlestown bridge, I mean, it was like a rowboat mm-hmm, um, yeah. and over the years, but just given the logistics in the Harbor and the, 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 the vast distances and the, the point to point nature of it, I think there's always been a support boat involved. Um, but you know, what we've found over the years is that like <laughs> there was one year, Oh, and Kelly, I'm sure has told you this story, Kelly Latimer <laughs> about the, <laughs> the year I she did so. it. And uh, this was, I think it was like 2007 or eight, you know, it was before we had taken over and she was going to be escorted by a kayak and it was a day with plenty of wind and it just, it was just a disaster. She had to get out within like the first mile, I think it was. Oh my gosh. Oh God. It was a funny story. I mean, you should, if you had, if she hasn't told you the story, you should ask her because it is, it was pretty good, but that was, so it's the Kelly Latimer rule now that you know, we don't allow kayak escorts. Cause it's just, it's just untenable. Uh, Janine was wondering if you allow relays anymore. Yes, we do still do relays. Um, yeah, we, um, relays are, uh, we do relays of two, three or four people. Um, and they're in a, what we call a helter skelter approach. So you can have any, any distance, any, any, um, you know, pattern of swimmers, you know, and the idea there is to sort of let people who might have an interest in the swim sort of, you know, test drive it before, Mm -hmm. um, they do it as a solo or something like that. Um, and the whole idea with the relays is they're just meant to be fun. So yeah, we do, uh, we cap it at six relays every year. But yeah, by all means, we love we love relays. They, they it's fun because they um they'll they'll go out and they'll they'll do their swim and then at the finish we encourage them to have this is the one time on the course when you can have more than one person to a boat. <laughs> so we have them all jump in and swim in together at the finish for like the last you know couple hundred yards. That's fun. What is your um, do you have like the same contingent of boat? personnel every year that come back the puppets we have a few yeah we have a solid core group of boaters who come back year after year um the way we've done it because we can't guarantee that there's going to be enough boaters on any given year mm-hmm. um it's ultimately up to the swimmer to get the boater uh, but we have a stable of uh boaters we've worked with in the past and 
um, some guys who just love the event and they come back year after year. Um, and so uh, for the local swimmers, you know, if you can get a, a friend or a family member with a boat, do it. And then for people who are coming from a greater distance or having difficulty finding a boat support person, we will match them up with one of those boaters that we've worked with in the past and you know knock on wood it always seems to work out we've always had you know and it's usually just enough boaters um and it's it's that's the biggest lift on um on this uh event and uh in 2019 just the last time we were well the last time we were we started the event um uh, Mina Elnakash was, uh, and, and Alana Aubin worked on the boat matches. It was mostly Mina though. Um, and honestly, that was the biggest, um, that's the biggest piece of the event. And so Mina took care of that for us. And I was really grateful that I didn't yeah. have to deal with it. Yeah. 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 So how many volunteers do you need to run the, the yeah. boats? I, I mean, yeah, if, if it, it, if you have to, you can do it as one person. I mean, I've done the whole thing start to finish with mm. just a little bit of backup and support from Greg. Uh, but it, it, in order for it to not be just like an onerous, awful thing, you know, <laughs> it helps if you've got like four or five people. And then on the day of the swim, you're going to need some volunteers at the finish. Um, we, we put a volunteer at the yacht club to collect the flags when the boaters come back. And uh, we've got usually five or six people on the beach helping, you know, greet swimmers and, you know, all that sort of thing. And, and actually that what we found is that um, we've never really had a problem finding volunteers, but we incentivize volunteering. So if you volunteer one year, uh, you, you'll, you'll get an automatic entry. You get to bypass the lottery the next year. Mm. Oh, so it gives, it gives, um, you know, people who want to do the swim, it gives you that you know, removes the element of luck from getting in. It, it also is like a, a thank you from us to them. You know, thank you for helping us run the event. But it also, it has like a very real benefit in that it allows this person who wants to do the swim to see how it runs and, you know, what's involved and, you know, how long, you know, sometimes it helps when you see up close what this looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, what, um, can you tell us about any scary moments or maybe something you learned <laughs> that you've channeled into future, future events? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, every single year is a learning experience. <laughs> we, we definitely learn something every single time and we try really hard to, you know, make note of that and incorporate it for the next year. And, and I, I do like to think that we have done a good job really elevating the professionalism of the event as we've gone. Um, I think it's in terms of scary would be, um, uh, the story that comes to mind first is 2019, um that was the last time we because we had to cancel last year obviously because of covid um that was the last time we were you know organizing one of these and um the day before the race um had been super super foggy um to the point where there was a um you know boston harbor being a working harbor and stuff one of the ferries that um, goes from Hull up to downtown Boston had actually crashed. There was like a commuter ferry had wrecked oh on gosh. one of the islands because it was so foggy. Um, and th- this happened like right 
on part of the course that we would be wow. coming along the next day. So we were kind of keeping an eye on the weather because like, that's a little concerning, but <laughs> you really, <laughs> you really only get those sort of super foggy days, like once in a blue moon, it's, un, it's abnormal for those conditions to repeat themselves like 24 hours later. So we figured we were going to be okay, but we were keeping an eye on the weather all the same. And um, we get up that morning and uh, you know, it was, we sometimes we have to start at like stupid o'clock in the morning but that year for whatever reason it was a you know in like an 8 a.m start so it wasn't that bad mm-hmm. um and you know it was one of those things you looked at we had stayed in the a hotel nearby the night before just to eliminate the back and forth to my house and you know looking out the window of the hotel going mm, i don't really like the look of that sky it was sort of like that oh is it gonna rain what's it what's it fixing to do so anyway but no fog so we go down uh the swimmers all arrive and we're you know marking marking their bodies and the boats start coming in and you know looks good yeah it looks like it wants to rain but it looks good but we're gonna go for it and within about 20 minutes of the last boat leaving the dock um the fog that rolled in was like I understand what they they mean when they say pea soup. I mean, you can mm. see anything. You can barely <laughs> see your hand, you know. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, how long is this going to last? You know, we had just launched the entire fleet of swimmers out into yeah. the harbor. And some of these people don't really have a whole lot of, like, boating experience or, or mm. don't really know the area that well. You know, not all of the pilots are at the same level. And we're like, oh, dear, what, what's, <laughs> what do we do now? So... I get on the boat. I have um, uh, to start the race. I, I go out on a boat and uh, that's piloted by a, uh, a Coast Guard auxiliary guy. Um, and he had he had brought his buddy who was also Coast Guard auxiliary. So between the two of them, they probably had about 100 years worth of experience in the harbor. They're both both older guys yeah. and they've spent their entire lives. They're the you guys know, you want to be with on the boat. <laughs> exactly. In and on the the, the water here. They know this harbor like the back of their hands. Mm-hmm. So we're out and we're cruising along and it's it's so thick. And it's just like, where's the lighthouse? And then all of a sudden, this tanker comes out of the fog and it's practically on top of this. And we realize, oh, we're not even on the course. We're in President's <laughs> Roads. We're not. Oh my God. Somehow we ended up north of spectacle when we should have been south of it and it was like oh everybody (laughs) on the boat like shits their pants you know it's just like oh my god and and so at that point it was you know I have these visions of like there was this one team that went out in this tiny little it must have been like a 14 footer it was basically a bathtub with an outboard motor (laughs) and I'm thinking oh my god they're they're dead they're dead they're all dead everybody is dead um, so I get on the radio and we decide to call the race, you know, because the thing is, is we, we were, we were going to try and, you know, give it 30 minutes to clear up. Cause sometimes, you know, you can have heavy fog roll in and then it disperses and, but given the, it, you know, because it's so tidally dependent, there was really only about a half an hour that we had to work with in terms yeah. of delaying the start. Right. And so that was like the longest 30 minutes of my life trying to figure out what to do and how to make this decision. And it was, uh, it was heartbreaking. And then we had the challenge of communicating to these people because the fog was so thick, not everybody was getting the message. Oh, gosh. Right? Like through the radio and stuff. Oh, wow. Um. 
so, oh God, the next, I don't know, four or five hours while we waited for everybody to kind of find their way back. Everybody was fine. Everybody was safe, but there were a few people who, who swam anyway oh and gosh. hadn't communicated that properly. And that was, that was a big no, no. Oh, um, yeah. Wow. That was, that was a problem. Uh, so yeah, that was, <laughs> that was definitely, I think my, my scariest moment. I mean, every time you launch um, a bunch of swimmers into the harbor, there, there is, it's, I don't know. I, I guess this must be what being a parent must be like, because you're like, don't, <laughs> yeah, don't get hurt out in the world, come back in one piece, you know, don't, don't get arrested. Don't, you know, <laughs> Yeah. And then, so it was that sensation times 10. Cause like there was actually like real danger here and their yeah. lives at stake. Yeah. It, yeah, know? for sure. And I've done this to them, you know, it's just like that, that stress sweat moment. And so, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, with the weather, there's, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. It's when you only get that one window and that one day. Yep. <laughs> and that was, that was it. And, and, you know, we felt terrible because we had people who'd come from all over the country and a couple of people would come from international locations and, you know, but it just, it just wasn't safe. I mean, there was, I mean, if, if the two Coast Guard auxiliary guys got lost and we ended up in President's Roads, I mean, you know, it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, we did the best we could by the swimmers, you know, rolled as many of them mm. into 2020 as we could, <laughs> you know, it's again, because we have this limited, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The disaster continues, um, you know, because we have this limited resources, we're trying to make it as fair as possible and open it up to as many people as possible. But, you know, we rolled, um, the, as many of the swimmers as we could into the following year and, you know, and then COVID. Yeah. <laughs> the rolling continues. <laughs> yeah, we are hopeful to run the event in 21. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are, we are, we have gotten started on planning and we are uh, trying to figure out what that looks like. Uh, but as of right now, we are hopeful. Um, and uh, yeah. What do you, um, what's one learning that you've had that you want every marathon swim event director to know? Um, I think, I think it's important. You know, like, I think my perspective as being both a marathon swimmer and a race organizer is helpful because I can sort of see the, the whole thing from both sides, you know, cause there are, you know, there, there could be two competing conflicting, uh, you know, it, it, you can end up working across purposes if you don't, if you don't understand, you know, what the other side's goals are and, you know, mm -hmm. and, and as a race director, I think, you know, our biggest with, with Boston Light, our biggest thing is to keep it as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so I would hope that other race directors would have that as, as goal one, two, and three, you know, yep. safety first, second, third, you know, yeah. um, and then, you know, for, for swimmers coming in, like, I know it's so frustrating when things get canceled or, you know, when it doesn't work out, but, you know, I think I would want swimmers to know that, you know, we, we don't take any of these decisions lightly and, right. you know, we're just trying to ensure the, uh, the longevity of the event and, you know, health and safety of the competitors and stuff. So, you know, sometimes it can be, it can be hard to be like, okay, I didn't get to swim or I didn't get, you know, I didn't get through the lottery or whatever, but it's like, 
you know, come volunteer and then you can bypass it next year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Is there anything that you've learned about yourself through being <laughs> an event director? <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah. Um, I think probably the, the, the amounts of stress sweat I can produce in August <laughs> when I have one of these things happening is really quite extraordinary. That's a, <laughs> Yeah, like I, I, I think you know the week or so leading up to the Boston Light, you know, I start to get crabby because it's like, you know, and then the, the night before you're like, oh, and then while they're out there, it's, you know, my, the, the the concern grows, but um, the once everybody's back safely on land, it really it feels really good. It's it's a good time, and and we go and we we spend time at the pub enjoying appropriately. Yes, in that feeling of relief. Yeah. Nobody died. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Another year. Um, so t- walk us through how it, how it would go for a, for a swimmer starting with registration. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we typically open up the lottery on or about March 1st. Um, this year, obviously we're probably not going to have any kind of a lottery because we've just, you know, everybody who got canceled over, last year right. just rolled directly into 21 here and I know we have a couple of swimmers who who have said that they're not going to come um but it's a very small number at this stage so I'm not sure that we're even going to open up um a lottery for one spot <laughs> right exactly yeah and also given that we just don't know what's going to happen in terms of protocols exactly. and maybe even there there could be restrictions on the size of gatherings we can have so we're just going to wait for now and just see yeah. how things play out um but yeah, so typically we would open up the lottery on March 1, um, and then on March 14, we would close it, uh, run a drawing, a random drawing on the 14th or the 15th, notify the swimmers of their status, um, and then uh, a couple of days later, we'll open up um, a, vol- uh, a lottery for the volunteer gig thing. Because that has, because that's a way to bypass. That's also gotten really popular. popular. So again, to keep it fair, we're doing that by lottery too, which is it's annoying. But you know, it's the only way we can figure out to do this as fairly as possible. Um, and then, so we'll leave that open for a week or two. Um, so then, that way, if somebody, if a swimmer gets um, doesn't get selected for the swim, they can then sign up for the 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 volunteer lottery. Um, so then that puts them on like a three-year plan to, right, to right. Um, which is insane to me that, you know, we have to do that, but, right. um, and, and, and like I said, I would, we would love it if we could just accommodate everybody who wanted to do it. It's just, it's just not possible. With the right. No, I'm not with that. any marathon swims anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so then that's, that's March, um, April, we start doing things like getting permitting, uh, in place, um, uh, figuring out who's going to be in charge of, of which area of the volunteer tier stuff. Um, uh, in June, uh, we start doing the boat matchup. You know, we'll, we'll contact the boaters, find out who's available, find out who needs help with finding a boat and back and forth. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and then that's when we start doing things like ordering swag and, um, all of that stuff, uh, start communicating with, you know, swimmers about, you know, what to expect, what's coming up. Um, you know, over the years, I've really put a lot of effort into sort of boosting the communications, um, 
you know, as a, a writer and a communicator. Right. So, um, so swimmers get, you know, updates every couple of weeks about where we are in the process and what, what to expect next and, you know, what they need to do. And, you know, if in doubt, read the FAQs, if you still haven't found the, the answer to your question, then email me, but please read the FAQs first, because I can all but guarantee you <laughs> the questions yeah, that's been asked sometime in the last. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, so, um, we get down to the point where like a week before the event, um, we've got more or less all the swimmers matched up to voters. Um, and the night before the event, um, we have a safety meeting. And typically we, you know, what we've done over the last several years is that meeting occurs at the Curly Community Center, um, <coughs> excuse me, which is a, um, the L Street bathhouse of much renown. Um, <laughs> And so we'll have a safety meeting for about an hour and then we go down the street to one of the yacht clubs and have a dinner. And that's where, you know, the swimmers get to kind of like meet each other. And uh, Greg says it's an AA meeting for swimmers because, you know, you get up and you say, you know, my name is Elaine, and been, <laughs> you know, 15 hours since my last swim or whatever. <laughs> and you explain why you're there and, you know, what brought you there and what your goals are, what you've achieved so far. And, and it's really, it's a, it's a really nice tradition. We've, we've really, we really enjoy getting to know some of these swimmers that we <laughs> maybe don't know otherwise. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then, so that's the night before and then crack it on the next morning. Oftentimes, you know, we'll, we'll turn up at the yacht club at like four in the morning to get things going. It's a long day, yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. really long day. Um, and, you know, swimmers come in, they pick up their flags, they get body marked, they go down to the dock and meet their boat pilot. Um, they drive out to the lighthouse with the boat pilot. Uh, and then when it's time for the race to happen, you know, I do the air horn and they jump off the boat and swim back to Boston. Easy as, easy as can be. <laughs> no, it sounds so simple when you explain it like that. Yeah, exactly. Have you had people, it's interesting to me that you have people, since the swimmer has to recruit their own boat person, that have you had trouble with boaters getting lost, not knowing where they're going? Rarely. Most of the time, you know, if you have uh, somebody who's got a boat in the Boston Harbor, then they're at least familiar enough with how the boat works and, mm -hmm. you know. We did have a, uh, a team last time who had just rented a boat from like a local rental place and were piloting it themselves. And they, they had uh, such minimal sea experience that that was uh, not the safest sort of situation. And so that is something that will probably be stipulated in the rules going forward that you need mm -hmm. to actually have a qualified pilot. You know, you can't just get your buddy or your brother to like rent a boat. Like that's just... This is a little more um, complex than that, you know, right. trying to pilot a boat alongside a swimmer without chewing up the swimmer and the propeller. There's a little more to that than just, oh, let's go rent a boat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, we also had one year, there was a, <laughs> oh, a relay team, they had a sailboat. And um, sailboats in and of themselves are not necessarily uh, uh, a no-go. Uh, it just, it, sometimes they can be problematic because they tend to have a deeper keel. And the, um, the, the way we start the event, it's at, it's at low tide that we start basically so that they can ride the flood in. 
Um, and so the dock where the swimmers board the boat is, is shallow. And so sometimes there's certain boats that just really can't, they can't get in close enough to pick up the swimmer and stuff. And so we've had some issues where, you know, uh, the swimmer will get a ride out on another boat and then transfer when they get to the lighthouse. We don't like doing that because it's an added layer of complexity in another place where something can go wrong or, you know, uh, it's, I don't like when that happens, but we've, we've accommodated that in the past if somebody's stuck. Um, but yeah, so there was this one year we had a, a boater, um, uh, a sailboat and, um, you can't be under sail on the course. I mean, that's just, you can't, it's gotta be under motor power <laughs> because you have to have that level of control. But, yeah. um, so it wasn't, that wasn't the issue, but the issue was they got too close to one of the islands and the boat ran aground. Oh, no. <laughs> so the, the team had to just like swim in place until the tide came in enough to get the boat off the island. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so now we, we tell swimmers, okay, sailboats, if you're absolutely stuck, you can use it, but please get like a normal, you know, like a 20 foot, 15 foot, 20 foot, 30 foot, you know, central console, like a cutty sark kind of thing. Like that. <laughs> That just works a lot better. <laughs> yeah. To where you need to go. Yeah. Awesome. And tell us about your triple. Oh, yeah. My triple. Yeah. That was fun. Um, <laughs> so, oh, back did, you, did you do a double before the triple? Yeah. Did you just jump? Yeah. Yeah. So I had done the single, um, I'd done the race three times, uh, back when I first got into marathon swimming and then, uh, didn't do anything on the, the, the swimming wise with Boston Light. Cause you know, when you're, when you're race director, you can't swim. Like, I, yeah. I'm sorry, that is just a non-negotiable for me. If you are directing the race, you are not swimming it. You know, I, yeah, no, I've, <laughs> I've participated in some events where the director does swim and I just, frankly, I think that's bullshit. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah so to do other stuff in the harbor you know i have to set it up as a solo swim and so we have um greg and i founded the um massachusetts open water swimming association to sort of do that that kind of thing um so we now can uh, we we sanction and observe um solo events in you know massachusetts waterways mm -hmm. um, and uh, we sort of opened up the 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 process by the two of us did a, a double uh in 2010 uh, it was a tandem solo so lynn that is a time when you could share a boat is if you're in a solo situation if it's not you know not part of the event but you know mm -hmm. if you were doing a um a solo like a double or a triple yeah we can we can do that um it's just, again, it's just too many bodies in the water during the, the regular. Oh event. yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, so we did that and we ended up breaking Jim Doty's record. Um, Jim Doty was a legendary uh, swimmer here in New England. He's, he's in the hall of fame and um, he was just a, a, a fabulous guy. Um, he had been um, uh, a, a director of the Boston Light himself in the seventies, he had sort of revived it because it sort of went dormant at, uh, during world war II and then just like mm. never came back, but Doty brought it back in the seventies and, um, he had done all kinds of stuff. Like he, he, his goal was to do like all of the major swims in new England. And, um, he had done the, the double in, I think it was 69. So we did it in 2010 and we broke his record by like two and a half hours, which was, it was exciting. It was just 
we just had a, a good day and had planned the tides properly. Mm-hmm. You know, forecasting on tides has gotten better and yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. So it wasn't that we were that fast, but it was fun. And afterwards, uh, Dodi took me out to lunch to congratulate me for breaking his record, which is oh, really special. That's sweet. Um, so that was the double. Um, and um, another old timer who is like very integral to the history of Boston light is this, this guy called Kim Garbarino. Um, he's from Win, uh, Winchester, Winchester. I don't know. He lives, he lives on the ocean. He can basically see the lighthouse from his house oh, wow. and to say he's a little bit obsessed with Boston light would be kind of an understatement. He's done it every year. And um, he, just he just loves it and loves it and loves it and loves it and so he had done a couple of doubles um he's I think he's done it more than anybody else by like a long shot I think he's crossed the harbor probably 20 or 30 times at this point wow um and so he and I are actually pretty similarly matched pace wise and you know I love swimming with him and so in I guess it was around it was right around New Year's on um you know 2018 into 2019 we went for a long pool swim and he said afterwards we got some coffee and he was like, so how do you feel about a triple? <laughs> well, Kim, I don't know. How do you feel about a triple? <laughs> um, and so from there, it just, we, we went for it and um, we have this boat pilot who I absolutely adore. His name's John Forgione. He's a local guy with a boat and he just had a ball um, cause you know, this was a record thing. This was the mm-hmm. first time this had been done. So mm-hmm. he was totally on board and my husband and Kim's wife were on board, you know, to assist and they kayaked for us. And we just had a beautiful day. And Greg was on as the observer, um, much to his protest. He didn't, he didn't want to observe because he was like, why would you want to do a triple? It's like so long out there. <laughs> okay. Mr. I do marathon swims too. Um, <laughs> but he um uh yeah so we we it was it was a success we had a great day and it was just it was just really fun and so uh inevitably a few days after the the triple Kim's like so uh, what do you think about a quad (laughs) (laughs) I don't know to be determined we're 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 talking but I don't know and Greg is like I'm very definitely not observing that (laughs) that's awesome so do you were you able to find favorable tides for all I guess yeah you know it it worked out um yeah and that was something we weren't really sure whether it was going to because the tides can be so strong out there we just didn't quite know what to expect um yeah there was a little bit of um so the the first uh leg we went from excuse me went from the the south boston out to the lighthouse um and in that last 20 minutes or so, we were a little late getting off the beach. And so um, in that last 20 minutes or so, we could feel the tide turning. Mm-hmm. And we had to really battle into the island on that turn. We could really, really feel it. Um, but we managed to land. And then we turned around and we swam back. And so we soared in because, you know, we were on the flood on the way back in. Um, and you know, the, that last, again, that last, you know, 20 or 30 minutes was a bit of a slog because we were just a little out of sync with, with the tides and stuff, but again, not a big deal. Uh, we were able to get in. And then on the way back, um, 
we got stuck um, by Long Island. Um, there's a cross current that comes through there. And, you know, with the, the way that where we were in the tide cycle, we just got kind of crushed. And so um, uh, at one point, actually, I, I had gone up ahead a little bit, you know, I could still see the boat, but Kim was caught in this current and I didn't want to get caught in it with him. So I maneuvered up and I was I was treading water waiting for him um, in, in like a, the lee of the island there, just mm -hmm. found a little mm -hmm. place where the current wasn't so hard against me. And then he dug himself out of that hole and we went up and around together. So, yeah. So there were a few points when, when we were having to kind of fight the, the tide, but I guess, um, uh, Greg had taken a look at the, the moon charts and stuff. And I guess he picked a, a, a day when it wasn't, it wasn't as intense as it could be. Mm -hmm. That's that's fun. What's, um, what do you think that there's local, like the not local, if you were just a person entering the lottery, like having the local knowledge of the, of the islands or anything, is that beneficial going into this one? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If you're familiar with the Harbor at all, I think that definitely it helps. Cause like if, as you're swimming, you're like, oh, okay, that's George's Island. There's Rainsford. Okay. Yeah. You can sort of tick off the, the map marks in your mind and stuff, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's anything critical, but yeah, I think it makes it more enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to tell us about the Boston Light Swim? <laughs> uh, it's a great swim. Um, it's, uh, like I said, we're really just the stewards of the event for now. You know, our fervent hope is that, you know, when it's time for us to move on, that somebody else will step in and take over and, and love it as much as we have. You know, it's, yeah. it's hard so work, but it's a good time. And, um, you know, I think it's really worthwhile to be able to, to see an event with such a lengthy history live on. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. You guys have been doing it for 10 years. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being the stewards of an awesome yeah. historical and event. And we've only had to cancel twice. Once because of the fog <laughs> and once because of the global pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty good record. <laughs> and, 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 you know, knock on wood, nobody's died under our watch. So <laughs> good time to get out. <laughs> That's what you're saying. <laughs> you're in. <laughs> Thank you so much, Elaine. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. More than just a podcast, did you know that you can watch Marathon Swim Stories on YouTube? Or join us. We meet on Tuesdays at 5.30 a.m. Pacific, 8.30 a.m. Eastern, 13.30 GMT. Check out intrepidwater.com forward slash Marathon Swim Stories to see who's up next. Thank you for listening.